today, you're a man. Mazel tov on your bar mitzvah. It's a big seller. I meant as an architect. Yeah. I doubt it. Well, you're a perfectly adequate greeting card writer. Thank you. I was actually my nickname in college. They called me perfectly adequate Hanson. You used to call me anal girl. I was very neat and organized. All right, Michael, welcome to Marquez Played. That's what we podcast. Okay. About film podcasts <laughs> and and the conversations that revolve around them. Still doing uh, that. Yeah, we are. We are we are still doing this thing. <laughs> and and this is the episode, Mike, where we uh we really focus on you and your behavior in our Good. last episode. And, okay. Uh, rectifying this whole issue you're having with your excessive male gaze. Hmm. You know, your objectification of women. Is it an issue? I've been told by many movies that it is not. In fact, I'm the hero of my own story based on the movies I've consumed. You're, you're definitely the hero of me, Earl, and the dying girl. Oh. oh, Who's who's the hero? The one that dies? That's who I wanted to be when I watched that. I think uh, Earl would be the hero. <laughs> well, probably. Because he yeah. punches that other kid in the face. <laughs> he's, he's the only one that tries to actually bring the, bring some sort of justice to, That's uh, true. to that kid's behavior. I hate that movie. Are we are we talking about another movie that I hate on this episode? No, no, that's right. We're talking about Five Hundred Days of Summer. So okay, all right. And and here's the reason I picked this. Um, and we, oh, so we're talking about the male gaze as as related to Manic Pixie Dream Girls is really the topic, right? So yeah. Um, I watched this movie and I saw it a long time ago, and you know, cutesy, whatever. I I, I remember being positive on it, but now watching it today as a in in preparation for this podcast. I'm disgusted with Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character. And hmm. just the... He's like this immature piece of shit that is laying his entire <laughs> uh, insecurity all over okay. yeah. Zoe Deschanel. And I'm not a big fan of Zoe Deschanel's character either because... But at least she's honest. At least she's upfront with him. Yeah. She may put off a different vibe with her actions. But with her words, she's saying, Hey, look, I don't want a serious thing. Yes, they're going to be flirty, lovey, lots of shower sex, God knows what else. But this immature dude is really trying to force himself into this long relationship, something that she's vocalizing that she wasn't, doesn't want to do. I put all the faults on this dude, much like <laughs> I put all the faults on you. Well, okay. Uh, you know, reserve your judgment. You don't know. I mean, you you have a high probability of being right in that <laughs> assessment <laughs> based on track record. Uh, I agree with you because I think I, this has been like a seesaw with me in this this movie because I you know, I was in my twenties uh, when this came out and I remember a lot of my friends, male friends, being into this, and I was on the outside of that. I remember us, there was a group of us that went to see this this thing, and I think one of the guys had already seen it, and so this was like you know. His movie that oh, summer. Oh wow! And I thought maybe like we're was he getting big like into sweater vests. He was kind of a hipsterish guy, like he mm-hmm. for sure. Like the you know the, the sequence uh, where uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's listening to the Smiths with his giant fucking headphones, like you and I only wear when we're podcasting. But I would yes. never never have these out in public um, on an he, airplane. 
they're well, acceptable okay, on that's airplane. Fine. That's practical then. But you know, you're just going to work. He that I think to him he idolized or fetishized. Oh, he absolutely the concept did. of meeting a woman like that and then talking about like the Smiths or whatever band he was into. Uh, whereas I, uh, I think that would make me really uncomfortable. Like I, you know, I, I, I you and I kind of. We're, we're weird in the sense that we do this movie podcast on movie podcast with this one. And we, we like to certainly talk and exchange ideas about movies. Uh, but I don't know about you. So I'll just speak for myself. I'm actually kind of protective about the stuff that is like near and dear to me. That feels like personal. Now, not personal that I had anything to do with the creation of it, but something that kind of cuts the bone like that where I can see myself in it. I don't really like to talk about those movies as much. Like, I don't really like to try to push that on people because it's like, you know, it's like my favorite band or my favorite song. I don't want you ruining it for me. Like, if I hand you a movie, Hyro, and then you do whatever activity, God knows what, while it's on, and it means nothing to you, you've kind of tarnished it in some way. So I'm very opposite of this character where it's like, I want to find someone. I can see this happening. JFK. Bring that back. I, I have some stories in my family history yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> that I got privy to. <laughs> uh, so I, I didn't, I'm with you. I didn't like this character when I first saw it. My um, read was, yeah, she, she told you what's up. Hey, um, I just want to tell you that um, I'm not really looking for anything serious. Is that okay? Yeah. Because some people kind of freak out when they hear that. Yeah, I don't know, me. For sure? Yeah, like, casual. I take it slow. No pressure. And you just didn't listen, or you chose to misread it in a way. This was, does this predate, or is it the same same year as he's just not that into you. Cause it feels like it's flipped. It feels like this was for like hipster guys. And I think they totally misread what was going. Cause I think they thought this was the arc of a guy who was a romantic and got screwed over by this woman. And that's what, that's what made me upset when I initially watched it. But I have seen this uh, a few times now. And on my second watch, I came around to it because I came in disliking this guy Right. And I feel like the film is giving you enough warning. I mean, it has a line at the beginning saying, this is not a love story. Like, we're just presenting this two thing with people who have very different views on love. We are warning you. And I feel like the audience that really, like, gravitated towards this completely dismissed that. And they saw this as, like, the love story for them at that well, moment in their life. It also, does, it, does the movie uh, set you up to for him to be the protagonist right up front by that little title card which says, fuck you, Jenny Beckman? I feel that the movie kind of yeah. plays with you a little bit too much right there. I had forgotten about that. In I'm hindsight. Like, like, yeah, like well, oh, yeah. I saw that this time. and yeah. Immediately, I'm on my heels like, oh, this bitch. You know, she's going to break the poor Jogo's heart. The little, little sweet Jorson Gordon-Levitt. No. Instead, he's like freaking out within 10 minutes that, uh, that you know, she's like, oh, my weekend was really good. He pitches a fit thinking that she basically got banged all weekend. So what happened? Right, you ready? Yeah. So there we are. Nine more floors to write, just me and her. Hey, Summer. Hi. How's your weekend? It was good. Can you believe that shit? I'm sorry, what shit? I think I missed something. She said 
it was good, emphasis on the good. She basically said she spent the weekend having sex with some guy she met at the gym. Skank, whatever. I'm over it. What the hell is wrong with you? She's not interested in me. There's really nothing I can do about that. Just because she said it was good. And some other things. Like, did she say, uh, hey, instead of hi? I mean, because you know that, that that means that she's a lesbian, right? I gave her plenty of chances. Like, I just don't understand that level of immaturity. Yeah, so that that little joke to kind of set you up to, uh, which, you know, some some movies, doesn't even Kill Bill start with, like, a Klingon, like, proverb, like... Before they show a woman shot in the face, a pregnant woman, like, you know, there, there are instances where that happens and it's just like kind of clue you in like, Hey, this is going to be a fun time. <laughs> Let's not get too heavy here. We'll get yeah. to that. Um, that'd be an interesting topic of a, of a podcast, right? To, to, to like look for those little like intros where they just dump something really silly on you up front. And then there you go. You're off to the races. We might have to do that on the next episode. Yeah. I think it's my pick and I'm coming in with nothing. So I'm, I'm a free agent here. <laughs> okay. So, but I, I want to introduce my podcast because what you just said as far as uh, putting you a little bit on your heels as far as like whose, whose story is this? And you know, you have the, uh, the sort of God's eye view from the, the narration that we're just going to introduce two people and we're not taking sides, but you're right. It, it does seem to have like the, the male perspective with that little gag. Uh, so the, the podcast is called Romcom Killjoys. And they label themselves as a feminist podcast that really this is like prime material for them to get into how pop culture has sort of defined relationships. And in particular with rom-coms, it's usually like, uh, you know, the male experience versus the female and, uh, their issues with this, uh, with 500 days of summer was that it wants to have its cake and eat it too. Basically it wants to announce itself as deconstructing, the, the rom-com tropes, but then also wants to kind of wave a magic wand and have you kind of forget about them. So you can, you can treat it as like, Oh, I wonder if they're going to, you know, get together in the end. Are we going to fall into the beats of like, yeah, yeah, you told me, you warned me, but really this is, this is a romantic comedy, right? Like it's all going to work out. And so it's trying to, um, be a little tongue in cheek and certainly referential to the entire genre of rom-coms. But it's also trying to show the main characters in a different light than what you would get if you just told the story straight through from beginning to end, which is awesome, except that if you told the story straight through from beginning to end, it would be incredibly boring and incredibly annoying because both of the people involved in this romance suck. And so this is a movie about trying to hide how much the two people in this romance suck. Yes, I, I I feel so many fond, uh, nostalgic feelings for this film because it came out uh, the summer that we graduated high school and were transitioning mm-hmm. to college. And it's such a, it was such an impressionable time in our lives. And I do remember thinking like, wow, like Summer Finn is everything I want to be in a woman. <laughs> she is so assertive. She knows what she wants. She's so cool. She literally never makes mistakes. <laughs> literally. Never. She's literally never vulnerable. Literally. I want to be like that. Plus, I want to have excellent bangs. Yes. <laughs> but it's true in the end when, or I shouldn't say in the end, uh, from a more wizened perspective, I, I say arrogantly, um, yeah, Summer and Tom are both kind of um, not the most likable characters. And the film is, I think, as you said, aware of that, especially with Tom and yet we as viewers are asked to see the movie through specifically Tom's perspective, but it, it asks us to both 
be in Tom's perspective and also be outside of Tom's perspective, which is where I think it kind of falters as a mm-hmm. deconstruction. I think their issue is somewhat, it sounds like our issues as far as like how, uh, how hard are you being or how forgiving are the filmmakers being of, in particular, the Joseph Gordon Levitt character for, you know, being a fucking idiot, even though he does have a supporting group of friends that kind of are gently trying to nudge him into saying like, well, what did she say exactly? Yeah. And he just doesn't listen. Even his little what, his sister is what, like 10 years old. Is oh, like his God, little don't mentor. even start me with that. Don't even start me. Not that a fan is, of Chloe Grace Moretz. Huh? Don't like her little Yoda it's sequences. Not, it's not about her. It's, it's the precocious kid. Like, mm. And then in the end, I'm like, okay, maybe that is a good thing to show how immature this guy is. And he's got to take <laughs> fucking advice from his little 10 year old sister. Right. But, I, 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 that you're right. There is a have you cake and idiot too, and you can look at that that relationship right there. Where yes, she's a little kid and he's immature, but then you're gonna go back to the trope of the precocious kid that we see, you know, Jerry Maguire, whatever it is. You know, just uh, there's. I'm also torn on the movie. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm. There are things I like. I really like the split screen. I, I like that. That was fun. that was interesting to me. The, the expectation reality versus, versus expectation. the reality. Yeah, yeah, because. I cannot tell you that wouldn't hit me in the gut. Like, or at least it hit me in a place where I knew shit. I've been there. I've been that guy. Hmm. You know, I looked at myself introspectively, like you were talking about, you don't want to talk about this stuff, but I have been that guy. I've been that guy who showed up to the party or showed up thinking it was a date and left, you know, to go bury myself in a bottle of Jack Daniels and throw up on the side of the road, like nasty Hellcat at your bachelor party. I think that was outside of an IHOP <laughs> with, with my younger brother pissing uh, dangerously close to, to a vomiting man's face, I thought. <laughs> After being woke up in, yeah. in, uh, in a uh, in a establishment. I'm not going to say where that was. Yeah, we're, we're outing ourselves as maybe being the, the wrong you know dudes to be to be talking about this. I you know I I can't say that I've ever been. I've definitely misread things, uh, but I, I think I have. Uh, you sound like you're more of a romantic than myself. Like I, I have the uh, uh, I'm closeted <laughs> this unending uh, cynicism, I guess, about myself and the world. So I've never come into a room expecting this is going to work out in any way. Like I'm, I'm always like, I, like I always treated it when I was in a uh, sort of single dating life that was on a talk show or soon to be a podcast, where it's like. You better have 10 minutes on this. <laughs> you, better, you better have 10 minutes prepared and you better be interesting because uh, you're, you're competing with everything else in the world, not just other people. But, you know, am I better than that book that you've got on your nightstand that you could be reading? Am I better than this show that's on your DVR? That's what you're competing with. And so I've, I come in with material and I think that's what I hold against Joseph Gordon-Levitt is in the sequences because they go back and – one thing they do that I like is, uh, and I think it's the little Yoda sister mentor that's like, were all those moments really as cool as what you've kind of elevated them yeah. towards? And you see, they don't change them that much, right? I like that. But it's just, you hang on a look for a minute or a pause and you read it a completely different way. Uh, but I, I'm wondering, what what is this dude bringing to the table necessarily? The yeah, in, in that regard, I compare it unfavorably to, I guess, the middle-aged version, which is high-fidelity 
you know, John Cusack is, mm. uh, you know, he gets drunk. He's, <laughs> he's kind of pudgy. He, he dresses very poorly. Uh, he complains. He bitches a lot. Uh, but he takes full ownership that the only thing he has to offer his, his mantra is, uh, I listen to a lot of music and the things I like should be good enough. Like me liking, me having good taste should be good enough. It should make up for all of my other flaws, all of my other faults in this relationship. I don't think the Joseph Gordon Levin character, probably because of his age, takes ownership that he's not really defined yet as a person. Other Nor than- does he actually bring anything to the table that I think is worth the shit. I mean, he writes greeting cards, so he's not making money. Um, Although he's he dr- pretty good at that. I mean, it sounds like... He goes through a hot streak, I think, when he's... Yeah. I, I, and it binges on his emotions. I, I really like the Agent Col- Colson character. What a good boss. Marvel. What an understanding boss this guy is. He puts up We're going to go lot. ahead and move you to the funeral section. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. That's where Mike would be. That's where I would already be stationed. I'd like to think that I'm I'm in charge of yeah the the grief and despair department. But it it is funny. Like I mentioned it, and you just brought up one. The supporting characters I really like here. They seem like real sensible people, and maybe that's the point. Maybe it's that for the, like the ultimate romantic, a kid that we are introduced to him as someone that his grace expectation was to fall in love. Like that's that's what he's been led up to, and that's. It's a different fit, right? Usually in rom-coms, you see, like, it's usually the female character that's idolizing her wedding day or that, you know, that, that perfect kiss, that perfect moment. And it was cool to, to see that from a guy's perspective, but, uh, it also comes across as far more predatory and just kind of uncomfortable. It's a hundred percent predatory. Yeah. Just the, 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 the level of, of shit that he's dumping on her. He's making these assumptions about her. Just drives it kind of bugs the shit out of me. It, it really I hate whiny people. I don't like <laughs> whiny cats, man. Stop whining, man. Make your move. Shoot your shot. And, and if it works, great. If not, you know, I mean, and his shots are terrible. He's over there playing Smiths real loud as she walks by and, and he starts moping and whining. Get out of here with that. That's not a good move. That's not good. Stop whining. I mean, he does he he's oh, excuse right. like a champion. I mean, karaoke. He's not bad, right? When he's not completely shit faced and like, you know, bemoaning his previous relationship in front of his new date. But I, I think he's, but he's not, Which, uh, by the way, that lady must, might've been one of the most tolerant human beings alive. Cause she stuck with that date for a good few hours. He is surrounded by nothing but tolerance, even from this girl that dumps him. She, <laughs> there's an email that she sends him. Like, I hope you're ready to be friends now. And yet he, sh- he shows up going back to the expectations thing yeah. that he thinks, Oh, maybe this is rekindling something. I'm like, she is planted a flag. He brought a like, pack of condoms. I bet you he did. <laughs> like, be responsible. Like, you know, just read the room here a little bit. And he's and not I, good at that, you know? I, I mean, I don't think it makes the movie bad by any means, because I, I like the conversation you and I are having about it. I liked the, the podcast I found. I thought Rom-Com Killjoys, it was really interesting to hear uh, that perspective. Um, and I think this is one of those movies that I like talking about more that more than I enjoy watching it, if that makes sense. More than I enjoy hanging out with those people. Yeah, no, you do have a point. Uh, now, the podcast that I the, that I brought to the table was talking about a movie that is exact opposite. Okay. That I really love watching this movie. They, so, uh, the podcast I'm talking about is called the Movie Crew Podcast, and they were talking about Almost Famous. There's that scene when William enters the room and they are playing the poker game, and they actually sell off Penny Lane to yeah another band. There's that scene where, like right afterwards in the bootleg cut where Penny Lane's having a birthday and they bring out a cake and they celebrate her birthday. You know, William just – he can't take it anymore because now he knows that she, she got sold off to another band. 
She's unaware of this. They're all celebrating this crap. He can't take it anymore. He walks away. Man, fucking Kate Hudson owns this scene where they walk out in that field, and he just tells her. He gets as angry as he possibly can, musters up his courage. He's like, you got sold for beer and 50 bucks. And when she looks at him and she asks, what kind of beer? And she smiles, and then they keep the, they keep that scene going. Where most people, I feel like, would have cut on that smile. Well, yeah, cause and you, her fo- smile fades away. But you can totally like see that like to him, all of this abuse, all of this just looking at people as not people is all new to him. But she's been there, and she doesn't know why she keeps going back. It hurts every tour. So we're talking about uh, the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. And I love Almost Famous. I think it's a great movie. I think... In particular, Philip Seymour Hoffman is a standout there. You know, the, the uncool monologue that he's yeah. got. Like you talk about a Yoda mentor. That's that, the right that's one. Who I want. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's who I want. But um, so here, uh, Penny Lane, as played by um, uh, Goldie Hawn's kid, uh, <laughs> I actually forgot her name too, and I was about to jump in. Goldie Hawn. That's the, <laughs> that's the daughter, right? Sure, Goldie Hawn's kid. But they made a really good point where. Uh, Penny Lane as a character she's been through a lot and she is she, I mean you go on the Wikipedia page and you look up Manny Pixie Dream Girl she's one of like the 10 that's listed she's this very flighty character the band-aids dancing around uh, yada, yada yada and from the perspective of the kid she's the Manic Pixie Dream Girl right it, it depends on what gaze is being showered on her Right, because he looks up to her, so you get his viewpoint. This movie is all about him, all about Cam- young Cameron Crow, how he views her, and there she is, a manic pixie dream girl. But there are moments in the film where you turn that camera around, and now you're viewing her from the lens of uh, the band and the, the, the and the the, the bass player, the guitar player. Russell and then the cats are selling yeah. her off for a case of beer and uh, a box yeah. of chicken or something like that. Yeah, and there's that different, and it really exemplifies that the. That the term manic pixie dream girl or or how we view them really is is a lot of times our perception of how we look at them, right? It's not well. It's going back to what you're saying. It's the male gaze. It's it's yeah. Like uh, I I believe the this term originated with our view for Garden State. I think was talking about the Natalie Portman character, and uh, that is totally from the. Uh, it was written, directed, starred Zach Braff, and he's the main character. And yeah, it's you know that's that's a movie that I think is a uh, you know an older cousin to Five Hundred Days of Summer, as far as viewing the uh, the female lead um, as some sort of pick me up, someone that will give you direction in your life, give you that one thing like okay, I've got a hot girl that likes cool music. Now I can conquer other things in my life. And there's a little bit of that in 500 Days of Summer with, you know, his he's writing greeting cards, but he always wanted, always wanted to be an architect. And they, yeah. they do use that a little bit where it's like this breakup is what you have the montage and, you know, the indie pop rock plays where he starts drawing and designing again and he finds his, his passion. Uh, and I think the then he gets Mika Kelly. <laughs> which is uh which is, i mean it's what a great man. uh it's a great way to forget about somebody yeah make, what a, unless you're Derek jeter of course but whatever well you know i'm sure she still has a gift basket and all of that um <laughs> see i know that reference <laughs> <laughs> and, and, Look, 
kudos to you, sir. I'm, that I'm is not good. going to call Mika Kelly, uh, you know, the the runner up prize. I don't, I don't think the film was positing that, but it's no, no, no. It's she is the catalyst for him to. Well, she she's not the catalyst because by then he's already kind of coming out of it. She's sort of is she the prize for his coming out of it? Like, hey, now your eyes are open, you can see that there's other beautiful people in the world. That it, it almost plays it like that. It does. I feel like you and I both uh, can attest that in reality, uh, both our eyes are wide fucking open. <laughs> like, oh yeah. We don't need we don't need the, the the light bulb to go off there. Yeah, I don't uh, need a baseball a signed baseball for me to know that uh, mm-hmm. that it's here. <laughs> yep. Uh, Almost Famous is interesting uh, because I, I like what you're saying as far as the when you get into the older guys or uh, the ones that don't have to to idolize like you know I guess the one. Uh, because they're, they're, the title of the movie is almost famous. They're, they're on the come up. And right. this is just one of many, presumably, relationships they're going to have. Not only that, but there's, there has to be an element of distrust. Uh, I, I do think that the Penny Lane character in that movie. Played by Kate Hudson, by the way. Kate Hudson, so, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> so um, terrible of us. As we're talking about the male gaze and shit, we can't even remember her name. We remembered Goldie Hawn. How about that? You know, just. Yeah, we're oldies. We're classic guys. Exactly. That's how, that's um, I do think that there's, you know, there's a different dynamic to their relationship where, uh, is she, is she into them? Like any, like, is she into the bass player or the, I guess the lead guitar player, uh, or is she into like what he can become? Like, you know, that's, is, is, is it going to be a, a strange power dynamic between those, those two characters? Like we're kind of talking about with Manic Pixie Dream Women, at least in film, where there's something to be acquired so that the man can accomplish something, something else. Yeah. It's, that the whole thing is about the man. Even the term, you know, is, is that it's a dream, right? That it's something to aspire to, or it's like a unicorn that just staggered out and, and it's unattainable. It doesn't exist in real life. Does this exist in real life? I don't know. Would you be interested in 500 Days of Summer if it was from Zoe Deschanel's perspective? Because I feel like Joseph Gordon-Levitt is a manic pixie dream boy. If you just if it's from her gaze and you just <laughs> you're just seeing her perspective the whole time. It's like a I stalker mean, movie. <laughs> yeah, I guess it does have that element. But, you know, he's the one that's uh, he's writing the cutesy uh, greeting cards. He's got the music, the headphones. He's uh, doing silly voices and he's doing this whole. Yeah, I-, I can guarantee you, Hiro, I've never had 10 minutes on, uh, you know, a bit on if I'm ever in Ikea. And there's routines we would do this, you know, fantasy of a domesticated relationship. Not at all. That is move on to the next guest. But if you're watching it from her perspective, I feel like she <laughs> she kind of gets what she needs at that time and then reasonably exits the stage when she's ready to s- stop playing with dipshit here <laughs> and have like a real adult relationship. Like she marries the guy like right away. Like, oh, that's it. The- that's yeah. The, none, none of this. None, none of the, the Smiths and the, this guy who doesn't have the, the stones to just have a real conversation with me. Uh, yes, I've, I've found like someone that's uh, an adult companion. It is uh is the Don John character that Joseph Gordon played later on a better human being or this guy? Don John, Don John for sure, because he's <laughs> he's pretty honest about who he is. <laughs> yeah, it's, and he has at least in that film, not to get too off the rails. Scarlett Johansson, they have a very transactional relationship, and actually, when he starts to deviate and possibly mature, she she's not with it. She kind of likes him as is with some caveats and when he starts to question things 
she's done with them. That to me is that's I'm more comfortable with that. Where two people come in and say this is what we're about, and if you kind of go off the rails a little bit, I have the ability to check out. Isn't that what Zoe Deschanel is trying to do, though? She's trying to. She's just not being. She's heard. trying to check out. Yeah. And he's going bonkers, yelling, "I want to define our relationship and crying and shit." Like, come on, man, what's wrong with you? Look, we don't have to put a label on it. That's fine. I get it, but you know, I just I need some consistency. Need to know that you're not gonna wake up in the morning and feel differently. Keep doing that. The film shows us though you can't uh, you can't do these bits over and over with her. <laughs> you gotta come up with new material, and I think that's what that's that's the one thing about the film that you know with movies and and Don John kind of gets into it. They have that uh, f- like the fantasy movie sequence, you know, the, the movie within the movie they're going to see with Anne Hathaway and is it I think Channing Tatum, uh, where he even has that yes. voiceover where he's like you know the. It's all about the the guy and girl finding each other, falling apart. Then they get together. Then it's all bullshit. Like, but he's even talking shit about his girlfriend in his head. But she likes this bullshit, so I take her to see it, and then I go home. And as soon as she goes to sleep, fire up Pornhub. <laughs> just be careful. Be careful with the the, the razor bumps. That's when you gotta like just back away. <laughs> Little peek behind the curtain. Hiro has been winding up that pitch in the bullpen since our last episode. <laughs> Oh, I've been, I've been uh, sandpapering the ball a little bit, getting ready for for a little discussion on uh, on uh, razor bumps in my porn. I don't know how to transition there. Um, I dare not. Well, you're editing, so it's not like I can just shout out rom-com kill choice again <laughs> and be like, here's a clip, another clip from this great show. Uh, well, okay, let, here's here's a question. Can you think of it like a romantic comedy that's actually labeled romantic comedy uh, you know, not not Oscar bait, not melodrama, uh, not getting off the rails into another genre that is brutally honest about our two lead characters that should fall in love. That still has the rom com trappings, but you know, it's just above board about who these characters are, and they kind of hold to that. Crazy stupid love. That's a pretty good one. And I'm, of course, I'm referring to because there are multiple people right. that there are multiple meet cutes and all that stuff. I, I'm gonna just circle right around the Ryan Gosling and uh, and what's her name overbite. Uh, How dare you, Emma Stone? Jesus, Emma Stone. Show some God, respect. I, I I don't know what it is about names tonight. I can't remember, but they have a very honest relationship. Like she spurns him. He's trying to be the suave guy, but they end up in the in, and it is a trope, right? Where they. And she calls it out in the movie. I'm not going to be the girl who comes over. We have a bunch of drinks and pass out. They have this like genuine connection during that sequence that makes it feel very honest. The way you, you know? drift in and out of that moment where, you know, the, the passage of time where you yeah. get from flirty, kind of drunken, we're going to fool around to he's having like very like sort of like honest or sort of reflection of his previous relationships his with his dad, his mom, yeah. all the, it, it, it is really like, is handled perfectly as far as that that particular I guess meet cute where they actually kind of meet who the other one is like for real as opposed to this kind of character that they're playing. It's a good right. pick, yeah. And it still is rom com. It's still you yeah. know we've got all the funny bits about the shopping and the ball sack of whatever. Um, 
Well, he like, calls him. He says his his like <laughs> neck looks like Hugh Hefner's ball sack or something like that, or his ears. Just, or his... How long will will our streak go on where we just say ball sack on, on the show? Well, I was just. I mean, I brought up Don John, which obviously has a, a quite a bit of Julianne Moore and sexy and sexy time. And you know, the reason we're here is because you had that male gaze at Julianne Moore and Hannibal, and now Crazy Stupid Love with the great Julianne Moore cuckolding <laughs> Steve Carell with David Lindhagen. Bringing that old I, favor back. I'm I'm not going to have our next topic be cuckolding like you keep threatening with poor Jason Clark. That is a <laughs> man, an actor whose name I shouldn't remember, but you have etched it in my brain in our continuity. Uh, I actually was trying to look up Manic Pixie Dream Boy and see if that, if anything. <laughs> be careful what you're going to find. <laughs> nothing really. Uh, Just don't do it on you porn. Well, here's it's weird. There's like um, uh, a star is born. They're they're saying Bradley Cooper kind of fits no. that. I don't think what? so either. I don't. I feel like the internet's letting me down as far as. Uh, I would probably say Ryan Gosling in uh, Crazy Stupid Love. Yeah, that's he's wealthy, good looking, honest. He's yada. He's perfect, and he's he's also shockingly earnest when it comes to support of Steve Carell. Like he openly tries to help some stranger at the bar crying over his drink about being cuckolded. That. He brings this level of earnestness that it, that doesn't really pair with everything. I mean, it's like too much. He's too good looking, too rich, too everything. I mean, he can even do the the lift move from freaking Dirty Dancing. Manic Pixie Dream Boy, right there. I think I actually read that that's Ryan Gosling put that in the screenplay because he actually could do that move. And I'm pretty damn skippy. That's because he's used it before. Wow. If you, I mean, if you have the ability, like, how do you know that you can do that move? You're telling me you never brought that out. You've used it many times. Oh, man, I wish it's I could. It's better than just saying I like the Smiths, right? I, maybe if I only dated girls who weigh like 80 pounds, I could do it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, or look like he looks. <laughs> you can he, is, he only weighs like 160 pounds. That dude is skinny. He's not like jacked. He's very ripped, but he's only like 160 pounds. I think this is going to, uh, I've discovered now what we're going to talk about next. Because the, the, the one that I thought of was like, oh, like someone like Anna Kendrick, right? Anna Kendrick as a man. We're doing the film Twitter combine again. We're doing the the size, the weight. Can you do the dirty dancing move with Anna Kendrick? I say Uh, yes. I. It depends on how tall she is. Height as weight. And then there's also a leverage thing there. Oh my God. Just. You you can't even give me Anna Kendrick? (laughs) She's too tall. Too tall. Why why are you doing. Well, I mean, for the thing. Like, I'm not a tall guy, so, like, tip over. Um, let me ask you this before before you go to your movie. She's five two, <laughs> five two. Oh, I got this. Okay, good. I got this. I, I might be able to do it like a, like a pizza you, platter. Then you, I don't understand it. Five two. What do you, what do you think she was like? Six foot one. If she's six foot one, then she's gonna weigh like a buck eighty. If that, it's Mackenzie Davis, you probably can't do it. But I'm probably giving not. you Anna Kendrick. How about that? This is there's a lovely. I I want to ask you a question before you go to your movie. Okay. You have to you have to hang out with one guy, Joseph Gordon Levitt in this movie. Or the punk kid in uh, in Me, Earl, and Dying Girl. Because neither one learns uh, shit. They're both assholes. <sighs> At least with Me, Earl, and Dying Girl, you can talk about movies. That is true. Joseph Gordon-Levitt here just mainly talks about himself, his own problems. Yes. Uh, I'm trying to remember if they're... He's real dismissive of his friends. He's like, oh, you, well, you've dated the same girl forever, and you can never get a date. So anyway, go, let's go back to me. Yeah, he's not a good dude. At least this dude is making movies. 
at least this dude is, uh, you know, he's bringing I'm, something I'm, to the table. You know, I'm abstaining here. I just have no friends. Cowardice. <laughs> just not doing it. I'm not doing either one of them. All right, man. I'm tired of interrupting you. What are you bringing to the table, brother? I think you and I need to have a conversation about Pitch Perfect. Because I just look. Are you fucking kidding me? This is labeled. This is on Wikipedia as an example of a manic pixie dream boy where the male lead has no backstory of his own and is just there to prop up the female leads uh, quest that she's on. And I cannot also, believe you're doing this to me. This is like a running gag with me and Barry. Uh, what is that? He loves these franchise. It's just like his Pitch Marvel. Perfect? It's like his Marvel. And I just you know, openly mock it. The more I learn about your co-hosts, like you talk about, like I'm a big fan of true romance, but there are definitely, <laughs> you know, pulling back layers of Barry that, that kind of scare me. Like <laughs> when I came on to do blast from the past and realized he was not trolling about this being like a time capsule to very like important moment of his life. And the fact that he loves pitch perfect, I look, I'm just trying to keep the, uh, the, the manic pixie thing going. Uh, but I also like, here, I'll tell you what, here, here's what I came in with. I came in thinking, let's do wet, hot American summer. Cause I wanted to kind of riff off of a setting, a movie where everyone's kind of manic, where you don't have the one person that's like, oh, that's the quirky character where you have the whole cast is like the quirk is hyped up to 11. Okay. And I think pitch perfect fits that mold. I'll do you a kindness though. Which of the, the two? Cause I think they both, they both fit and they both have examples of manic pixie dream boys. I'll take Pitch Perfect. I, you, I, just I saw wet hot. you just want to complain. Yes, don't I you? do, but I saw Wet Hot American Summer. And I just, I, yeah, that's fine. At least Pitch, per- Pitch Perfect is so bad that I will just. <laughs> don't give me that. You, you, take ownership of it, Joseph Gordon. Oh, oh, how you about were, this? You were choosing Pitch Perfect. Let's make that decision based off of what's streaming for free. Do, how, do, <laughs> how am I going to get this thing? The stars? If it's stars, I'm in. Uh, that's a good question. Let's see what Just Watch says Wet Hot American Summer. Probably on Netflix. Stars. It's on Stars. Stars? Yes, sir. So, wait, what did Netflix do? Did they do like a TV series? You're telling me they don't have the rights to the movie? Yes, it looks that way. All right. Unless I'm looking at the wrong one. It is on Stars. Okay. Decision made. <laughs> Stars in a pinch to save me <laughs> from my own hate. But you also have already seen What Hot American Summer and you disliked it. So It was just dumb. It's, you know what that movie is? is, oh shit, look at that famous person before they were famous. Oh, this is going to get mean then. Because if we're going to go down the cast list and judge them on you know what they've done since or if they've like fallen off from this. Oh, that's good. 